0: The mistletoe margarita, the Scrooge driver, the North Pole punch. Which drink is best for the holidays? The answer? All of them. And luckily, you can get everything you'll need delivered with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. Whether it's classics like Bullet Bourbon, Don Julio Reposado, or Kettle One, or something new, fruitcake-flavored tequila, anyone? Okay, maybe not that, but you can get the drinks you do want to match any holiday festivity on Drizzly. Sending a gift to your family, friend, or co worker? Hosting some friends for an ugly sweater party? Restocking your bar? You name it, and Drizzly has you covered. Shop curated gift guides, get recommendations from experts, and more on Drizzly. So, what's it gonna be? Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D R I Z L Y.com to choose your drinks today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations.
1: High Five casino. casino. Social casino fun with real prizes and big Vegas hits. Have you had your high five moment today?
2: Hey there, I'm Bob. Before High Five Casino, my high fives were more like low threes. But after my high five moment, boom! High fives all around.
1: That's the spirit. High Five Casino is turning every moment into a high five moment. Visit h5c.fun. That's h the number 5c.fun. And start spinning and winning today. High Five Casino. High Five Casino, high five casino is a social casino only. No purchase necessary. Wait where prohibited. Play responsible. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com podcasters to get started.
2: Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses
4: live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome to On the Verge. I am your host, Zach Spedton, joined by my co host Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. On today's episode, which is going to be primarily about the Major League Baseball draft next week, we will be joined by Dr. Stephen Loftus of Baltimore Sports and Life. He does a lot of good articles for us there. Uh, Before we get to Stephen, though, we want to talk about Baseball America's latest mock draft, which was just published today. And it throws a little bit of a twist into some of the things we've been expecting about the Orioles selection in the 2020 draft. Uh, Most mock drafts in the recent weeks have had Vanderbilt's Austin Martin going in the number two spot to Baltimore. Baseball America, though, took a little bit of a different approach uh, today by saying that it projects Florida outfielder Zach Veen from a high school outfielder to go in the number two spot to the Orioles. Um, This is not Baseball America's final mock draft, so things could change between now and the actual draft next week. But, Nick, I want to start with you what was your reaction to the possibility of being going to the Orioles and what kind of pick do you think that would be for them uh well I, I remember seeing the tweet this morning I think it was Carlos
3: Collazo that tweeted out uh the link of the new mock draft and he kind of teased that there was this kind of shakeup at the top of their their new mock draft and I was like all right well it's not gonna be the Tigers it's not gonna be the Orioles I think those picks are you know we, we've got our top three there that it could be maybe a Nick Gonzalez uh sneaking in there but when I clicked on the link and saw Zach Veen, I, I was I was shocked. They they did say that he believes that that pick is still going to be Austin Martin in his opinion. Um, but seeing the pick for Zach Veen really just kind of threw me through a threw me through a loop today. I was kind of like a you know I've been the, the Major League Baseball draft is something that I've only really started diving into like the last two years, and, and so it's it's been a lot of fun getting to know more college programs outside of just like the CAA, which is what I've been a fan of my entire life. Uh, and and so when researching for this year's draft my focus has been primarily on pitchers uh and then to see zach Veen's name in there it was someone that i hadn't looked at before uh but uh, i spent all day not working when i was supposed to be and just reading about zach Veen as much as i could uh, because <laughs> it is an intriguing pick uh high school kid out of florida went to the same high school as austin hayes um not that, that means anything as far as him going number two but cool fun fact um He seems to have enormous power from the left side, an intriguing prospect, uh, someone that's rising up the boards pretty quickly. Um, I like everything that I read about him. Uh, Being a high school kid in Florida, it's not someone that I've been able to see personally, but it's been fun learning about him a little bit. And uh, I think it does kind of, I mentioned in the last episode that, you know, Will McAlias kind of get a little crazy with the number two pick and doing that certainly will kind of throw a wrench to this whole thing, but a fun wrench.
5: Yeah, it was a, it was a fun little surprise to see today. Threw a little shake up into the mix, and should make next Wednesday more unpredictable, a little more exciting. But it, it does make some sense. I mean, last week I believe I said that Zach Veen could be the dark horse in this whole thing, and if they think that he could be potentially the best thrall talent of the mix, and they could save some money by going with him at the same time, maybe pick up you know a nice high school pitcher or. Uh, Position player later on in the draft, then more power to him. Um, looks like Elias is trying to put his own stamp on on this year's draft, as opposed to just there was a camp. No, you know, you couldn't mess with Rushman last year. So interested to see what he does.
4: I think this would be a little bit of a potentially high risk, high reward pick for the Orioles if they do go with being at number two. It does open the possibility that they can spend a little bit more on that later pick if they are able to sign Veen under slot. Um, given that we had kind of an abbreviated high school season, I'm sure that throws a little bit of a wrench into the evaluation process uh, with Veen and still makes me question if at the end of the day the Orioles are going to settle on one of those college picks, whether they go with Austin Martin or Aza Lacy or Spental Torkelson, or they look at Nick Gonzalez. But this uh, certainly is something to watch as we approach the draft next week And speaking of the draft, we're now going to bring in uh, really the resident draft expert for Baltimore Sports and Life. If you read the site regularly, you're familiar with his work. Uh, He does a really good job dissecting different draft strategies of players that could be available. Uh, He is Dr. Stephen Loftus. Uh, Stephen, how are you?
2: I'm doing well this evening and I'm very glad to join you all and really excited to talk about the draft with one week to go here.
4: Thank. Um, glad to have you on. One thing I wanted to get uh, started with is something you use to, you know, sort of evaluate the prospects in the draft, which is your draft model. Can you give us a little bit of a background on that? Sure. So, um,
2: this particular class, 2020, um, a lot of them are juniors that came around in 2017 um, that were high schoolers in 2017. At that time, I was an analyst with the Tampa Bay Rays, and one of the uh, major tools that they use, along with pretty much every team is some sort of analytical model that ultimately tries to project how good these uh, players are going to be in usually uh, the early portion of their career when the teams will have player control over them so after i left the Rays, i decided that i wanted to kind of continue this work because that is something that again my job was with the Rays at that time and so i wanted to continue this work outside of their you know Data is not quite as good. I don't have access to some things that teams do um, regularly have. But I wanted to build this model and try to, you know, bring this information to a certain extent to public because there aren't that many models out there that do this sort of thing, generally speaking.
4: So one thing, this year's draft is obviously a lot different um, than most drafts. We're looking at five rounds um, as compared to traditional 40 or so. How do you think that's going to change the process for the Orioles um, and really the other 29 clubs? And do you think there's still a chance for them to get a lot of value out of this draft?
2: Oh, certainly. There's plenty of room to get value because I mean, so much of a draft value really comes in those first two, three rounds, really. Once you get beyond that, the chances of honestly getting a productive major leader drops off a fair bit. So if the Orioles can't hit on those first few picks, and I mean, there's a lot of opportunity for the Orioles between their first round comp a, and second round picks all in the top 40. There's a lot of room there to get a couple of difference-making players. As to how it's going to change things, yes, the shortened season is really going to probably make some teams gun shy about uh, taking riskier players, But um, there is data out there that should be fairly consistent across most places. So a lot of times there'll be pitch FX information available for college pitchers. There should be some exit uh, velocity information on batters. So um, college players will get a lot more benefit even in the short season because there is a backlog of data that is there for them. And, unfortunately, I don't have access to this data. I would love to have access to this data. But teams, generally speaking, do have this for these collegiate pitchers and are able to uh, take advantage of this to try to find some hidden gems within, uh, within the draft.
4: Does it make it a little bit harder for high school players to evaluate them now that we've had this shortened season? Absolutely. No question. So
2: um, Nick, uh, Nick Biscoe, uh, right, I say – uh, high school pitcher Pennsylvania his season really didn't even start he didn't he was supposed to start in April and by then everything was shut down so teams haven't gotten to see him this spring and even more so with travel restrictions and uh, social distancing and the like um, teams might, and also the agreement between uh, teams and players association all that uh, teams aren't able to bring those players down for individual workouts where um, you can get them in front of the machinery that allows you to get readings such as pitch FX info and all of that sort of thing so um, high schoolers are going to be a little bit more of an uncertainty in this trap that said that represents a very interesting opportunity for um highly ranked high school pitchers who could fall so jerry kelly is projected to for example in baseball america's latest mock to go to the orioles at 30. he's ranked as the 12th best talent by baseball america But, you know, prep right-handers usually wind up falling because there's a lot of uncertainty with high school pitchers. And so talent like that has the opportunity to fall if um, teams want to take that risk. So there could be some high ceiling players that are available a little bit later because of that.
3: Yeah, so following up with that, then, um, you know, the Orioles have more money than any other organization in this year's draft. They need talent uh, kind of across the board uh, con- to continue to build that pipeline, build that depth down the minor leagues. And this, like we've mentioned, this draft seems like the perfect opportunity for the Orioles to be uh, really aggressive uh, with those three picks in, within the first 39 uh, this year. Um, with picks 30 and 39, and I know you just wrote about this on BaltimoreSportsLife.com. You threw out some names, but what are some of the names uh, that Orioles fans should look out for this year as far as, guys who might be those tougher signs that could fall down to the Orioles, um, guys that are probably in other years' drafts would have been first half of the first-round picks.
2: Yeah, so this particular year there's a few interesting guys right in that kind of mid-20s to 40s range who are draft-eligible college sophomores, guys that by age are eligible to uh, be in the draft, but um, they can also just go back and join their junior class and all that sort of thing. So there are a couple of players that I'm particularly uh, interested in within the uh, college pitcher side of things. So one of them, uh, Cole Wilcox, a uh, righty out of the University of Georgia, ranked uh, number 24 in Baseball America's rankings. And um, again, draft eligible sophomore. He has a lot of talent. In a year, he could be a top 10 pick, or even if uh, if things come together. His, his walk rate's a little high, all that sort of thing. If his control gets under command and um, his walk rate comes down, he could be a top five talent in a year. So that's the sort of player at 24, um, the mocks have him going um, right around that number 30 range where if the rules go under slot, they could really go aggressive with a player like that and possibly get another top five, you know, in a year, so he would be a top five talent in a year and get that sort of talent within the system so he's one guy another guy that represents a little more uncertainty and but is another draft eligible sophomore is uh, JT again so he's at Mississippi State he was projected to be like a top 15 pick and then first start had a little bit of an had a uh, elbow problem is going to have surgery so that is a red flag and that is something that you know teams have to consider the extra injury risk that goes on there but He's a guy with two plus plus pitches. I mean, he has huge ability. And in this particular year where the minor leagues are going to be likely canceled, there might not be as much lost development time. So he might be another guy who, again, depending on the the Orioles appetite for risk, they could possibly try to go for this guy and get these top five talents. Um, Again, the um, current Baseball America mock has Jared Kelly, which is the top high school pitcher. Ranked number twelve, another guy that is um, again a lot of ability. He's a big guy, six three two fifteen. Nice pitcher's body has. I mean, he throws ninety seven to ninety nine. Makes it look easy. Nice smooth motion. Yeah, all of this just sounds great. But um, so, for example, in my model, I have him ranked around the thirtieth uh, sort of player, which. Part of that reason is just there's so much risk inherent in high school pitchers, both risk in terms of just not panning out and also risk of moving to the bullpen. So again, these are considerations that teams are making, that my model's making when I'm ranking these guys. And then um, one other guy that I'm really excited in that 30-39 range that could be a tough sign is Jordan Walker. So you know, Zach Bean is a big guy, 6'5, you know, 6'5, 200 he makes 200 pounds look skinny with plus power, possibly plus plus. Jordan Walker, same type of guy, just other side of the plate. Righty, 6'5", 220, big power. There is some concern both with Dean and Walker about the hit tool in terms of being able to make enough contact to really um, engage with that power fully. But both of those guys um, just have so much power. and With the way the game is going, you you can do a lot of damage with that. You really can do a lot of damage. Now, Jordan Walker, he's a high schooler. Committed to Duke, so there's a little uncertainty of how committed, how much he really wants to go there. He's the type of guy that, if he does go to Duke in three years' time, we could be talking with him, uh, talking about him like Spencer Torkelson this year, no top five type of guy. So again, these are the type of guys that, if we're going over slot, talent said that top five talent the Orioles can target is just huge. Yeah, along to- those
5: same lines. Oh, sorry, Nick. No, go ahead. I was just going to say, along those same lines I heard on uh, Prox- Prospect's live podcast, them talking about how some teams are completely taking high schoolers off of their board, at least in the first round or so. Does that give the Orioles a chance at some, like, does young position players out of high school, like uh, Carson Tucker, what are the odds someone like that could fall down to 30, 39?
2: Those kinds of things are, I'd say, they're possible, Honestly, position players are generally considered a little safer, just because um, there's there's not well, there's plenty that can go wrong. But with high school arms, the injury rate for pitchers, all of that sort of thing, they're the more likely people, players that could fall. And once again, that's why Baseball America was projecting Jared Kelly to the Orioles. So um, there there is the chance that some high school guys could fall, but I don't think they're going to fall enough um, that. I don't think they're going to fall enough that certainly they'd be there at 39 um but they might be there at 30. now one of the interesting things that can happen with this is some uh high school players are starting to put off their are just withdraw from the draft so um right. mlb trade rumors just announced uh, today that uh dylan cruz um has withdrawn the name his name from the draft and he's ranked 39 according to uh some outlets so you know, these players are starting to shy away. They might go to a junior college for a year and be back next year or just, you know, go to college for three years until um, the agreements about deferred bonuses and all that are passed. So we'll see if any more names come out um, about between now and next Wednesday. But that could
3: drastically affect how teams are going to strategize this.
5: Yeah, that makes sense.
3: What about continuing with the high school talk? Um, but well, one name that stood out to me that I think I saw the guys over at MLB Pipeline uh, tweet about this a couple of days ago, but um, Dax Fulton, a 6'6", lefty, 225 pounds, but he's recovering from Tommy John surgery. Uh, is, is this someone that could be available in the Orioles pick? Is it someone that the Orioles should even consider drafting with, with picks 30 or 39? Or, or what's kind of his status that you know of? Um at 30 or 39 he'd be a bit of a stretch so i mean like baseball
2: america um with their latest rankings has him at 52. so yes big as a big guy real interesting but if the orioles are going to kind of do that sort of stretch at that point um it's it's a big ask in terms of you know someone coming back from tommy john especially when you're drafting them before the industry consensus, maybe he's there at uh maybe he's there at round three, but um, I don't think round two is a place that he'd uh necessarily fit in necessarily unless the Orioles know something that we don't which is decidedly possible,
5: moving and, back and, up towards the top of the draft uh who do you think the Orioles are going to take at two, and what does your model say is the best player second best player?
2: That that's a, i mean the second best player according to the model ultimately is Austin Martin. Um there's as I said there, you could make a little bit of an argument about um Austin Martin versus Nick Gonzalez, and I wrote um I wrote a little bit about that. But right. ultimately um Nick Gonzalez's bat is a special bat, but so much of the numbers has been inflated by his college park and you know the elevation in New Mexico that you know when you knock that back. It's still a special back, but it's not enough to overtake Martin, whereas Martin in this particular college season seemed like he was coming into a little bit more power. Yes, there is some question about his uh, position going in, uh, going into pro ball, but he could be like, honestly, a Ben Zobris type in terms of positional flexibility, except with a, you know, with a decent chance of playing a couple of really high-value positions at shortstop and center field, so he's the number two guy in the draft. And again, if you make some adjustments for a full season with how it looked like his power was growing, which you know lines up pretty well with a lot of other college shortstops, including a previous Vanderbilt shortstop in Dansby Swanson. Um, if you make some adjustments on that, his uh, draft score bumps up to 35, and um, which. 35 is about three and a half wins above replacement expected, give or take, if he's to reach the majors. And that puts them a nice half win ahead of everyone else, a nice little gap in the field. Now, should the Orioles take him? I'm a big fan of him. But admittedly, if they had information in terms of being able to get this second top five talent, I am fine with them going for Zach Veen. Zach Veen is voted as his, um. Ranked fourth in my model in the first article that I had this particular year about um, the Orioles draft prospects and uh, the first model scores that I put out, he was the second-ranked guy. So, and again, just you look at you look at him; he makes 200 pounds look skinny. He has all of this power potential, and it seems like he will be able to stick in a corner. And I mean, I don't know; I'd love to see him trying to. Uh, Hit the warehouse out of that left hand that <laughs> box, no question.
5: But absolutely. if they
2: know if, if they know something, if they have the sort of contacts that they are able to get the second top five talent, absolutely go for Veen, go for that underslot guy. He's honestly he's the guy that I would target as an underslot guy because there's a nice gap between, um, nice gap between the number two pick and where he's ranked at number seven. You can probably save about a million and a half on him, give or take. I mean million at the worst and then that's a lot of room that you can go there and then once again at 30 you can target some of these guys that are potential top five talent at 39 there are actually a few cost-saving options that have you know really good um college stats really good draft scores um logan allen out of fiu you know he doesn't have the strongest stuff he's ranked in the 50s by baseball america but geez i mean he's striking out 12 batters per nine even once you adjusted for the competition and all that his college stats are incredible, and he knows how to pitch. He's the type that could be like how Shane Bieber showed up out of nowhere for the, well, not out of nowhere, but showed up for the Indians this year, a smart guy who's able to take advantage of uh, the, of his slightly below standard stuff, but just knows how to pitch. And, you know, he could be a way to save some money at 39 to really, if you had to, put a little extra money to get someone uh, who might not be willing to fall otherwise.
4: In terms of ceiling, where would you put Veen in comparison to Spencer Torkelson and Austin Martin? In terms of
2: ceiling, hmm. so Torkelson's bat is just you know it's just something else. Looking at you know the college stats, the profile that he comes in with, his bats, his college stats look like Chris Bryant, it, and that is that is something else. It's hard to. Beat that sort of thing. I don't think Bean has quite that high of a ceiling. But that said, um, accounting for you know the difference in positions, all that sort of thing, I think Bean's ceiling is just as high as Austin Martin's. No question. Um, the floor is lower, admittedly, but that's always going to almost be the case with high schoolers. Martin has a nice floor in terms of being able able to contribute, but Bean also has that ceiling that can match Austin Martin. No question but Torkelson truly is a step above the
4: two of them. So one one point I've been curious about in this whole Torkelson-Martin debate, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. It seemed like as the college season was starting, there was a little bit of a split. Sometimes you'd see Torkelson going one. Sometimes you'd see Martin going one. But then as you know, the NCAA season was shut down, we've gotten closer to the draft, it seems like you're seeing Torkelson ranked one uh, more often. Do you think that has to do more so with the certainty surrounding his bat in light of a you know, shortened NBA, NCAA season? Or do you think he really just is a better prospect?
2: I think Torkelson is a better prospect. But I think the reason why it's, this consensus has just come around him as the number one is truly the certainty about his bat. Because that is, you know, that is the one thing if he can hit he will find a place in the majors no question it seems like there are no real questions about his bat he strikes out a little bit but nowhere near scary levels and the power is just let's say the the power is truly there and it's let's say the hit tool works there he draws walks It really is, for the most part, almost all there. And because of that certainty, you almost have someone that is near guaranteed to reach the majors, you know, barring injury or something along those lines. He's the type that could be in the Tigers lineup, you know, ignoring service time uh, and considerations and all of that thing. He could be in the Tigers lineup in two years. And that has a lot of value. That certainty truly has a lot of value.
5: Would you rank him above Andrew Vaughn from last year's draft?
2: They're close. I think I would put him slightly ahead of Andrew Vaughn.
5: Okay. And with the depth of the college pitching in this draft, uh, who are the guys you could see Orioles fans getting excited about in rounds three through five?
2: Three, three through five is an interesting place because also, I mean, depending on how the Orioles, how willing they are to spend in that uh, second and second round in en they might have to get a little creative based on you know based on just sheer financials, but that said, a few college guys that might wind out falling to them let's see who do we got here hmm. Tommy mace could be interesting if he fell, but that's a that's a tough that's a tough sort of ask um that said, he as well, the Orioles aren't exactly the type to, at the moment, try to go with the uh, to, uh, with the dual player. But, um, yeah, there are a few options. But, yeah, Tommy Mace would be an interesting one in round three. He's ranked at 75, and if the team doesn't, again, uh, pop him early because of the certainty about college players, he could be interesting. Jake Eater is another one. I mentioned... Uh, Logan Allen earlier and he would have to fall to 70 and then there are a few players um, ranked a bit uh, further down so Landon Neck is uh, a bit more of an obscure guy he's at East Tennessee State so not as strong of a conference anything like that also he's a senior so that's gonna um, knock him back a bit but even with all of those things that usually would knock a player back he strikes guys out he controls the walks and again, he could represent a cost savings thing depending on how the uh, Orioles want to attack things. Um, let's see. Carmen uh, lazinski as I always struggle with his name. Uh, he's ranked number 25. He's another one that, depending on if things fall, because, I mean, everything is so uncertain. This he might be there at 39, but he won't go much lower than that. But, um, but yeah, so those are a few names to kind of look out for. I also like Gavin Williams coming out of East Carolina. Um, yeah, he's a 100 miles an hour, and it's hard to beat that.
4: Yeah, definitely. So, Stephen, one thing that we talked about a little bit last week is maybe that possibility that the Orioles go in a direction we're not expecting, which is that they take one of the top college pitchers available, either Azel Lacy or Emerson Hancock. Do you think that's a, a real possibility? And if so, which one do you think would be a better fit for the Orioles?
2: Hmm. I, th- I do think that's a possibility because they do truly represent some cost-saving possible some cost-saving uh, instances you know not as much as say uh, Zach Dean but you know Emerson Hancock is ranked number four by Baseball America if you kind of split the difference between the number three and four slots you can save about nine hundred thousand so that's a lot of money to be able to add to that number uh, 30 or 39 pick um, same sort of thing with Aza Lacy. Lacey You'd probably have to pay him the third or fourth slot again, 500,000, 900,000, somewhere in that range, sort of savings. In terms of which one, I think so. Aza Lacy is ranked further down in my model as of right now. He's the seventh guy. That said, part of the reason why he's so low is he's been a little wild in college and he started out in the bullpen. If you kind of adjust some of those things to where I expect him to be, if he makes a step forward with his uh control getting the walks under control all that sort of thing um he's the type of guy that would be ranked third fourth right in line with his baseball america projection so if they were going to go for a college guy i kind of like him reed detmers is another guy if you wanted to go real big savings because baseball america has him uh ranked eight but um again and reed Detmers, ton of ton of uh strikeouts limits walks, not as great pure stuff he has a 70 mile an hour curveball which just drive college batters, you know, just drive and clear off the plate. But um, it's a 70-mile-an-hour curveball. It's not – unless there's a little bit more to it than we think. It might not play up as well as the pros. But of those guys, Hancock probably has the safest floor, but I think I'd rather them go for Ada Lacey if they're going to go for one of those collegiate pitchers. Might cost a little bit more. Might not have as much flexibility at 30 or 39, but I think I prefer Lacey in that way. Plus – He's got a a nice changeup, and I love a pitcher who knows how to use a changeup and has one that can work.
5: Sounds good. Uh, What kind of luck do you think the Orioles will have with getting undrafted free agents to sign with us? Any, uh, Any solid guys that might stretch out of the top five rounds that could be willing to sign?
2: That's a tough one because, I mean, the bonus level is so low it truly is solo now in a you know in your standard kind of uh standard draft a lot of these seniors will get you know plane tickets at spring training complex and you know that's it but um the seniors might have the ability especially at you know smaller programs where some of these gyms can be found they might have the ability to stay there for that extra year and up their um, and up their prospects the next year that undrafted free agent there's so much uh there's so much of an ability there for teams to kind of just get way more value than what you would think but it's just at this moment way too unpredictable to even say one who might be uh willing to be there and two um who is you know who's willing to only sign for twenty thousand dollars basically that said, you know, some of these larger programs might have an influx of freshmen that wouldn't otherwise be there. Players lose their scholarships. There's a lot of, there's a lot of possibilities there. So I'd aim for any of these large, um, any of these kind of large Power 5 schools with guys ranked in the uh, 400s, 500s that are seniors. Fortunately, don't have any off the top of my head. But, again, I think they'll be there. Cool.
3: Um, I think just looking overall at this year's draft for the Orioles, um, where in your opinion, what kind of strategy do you think the Orioles are, are going to take when it comes draft day uh, with that number two overall pick? Do, do you honestly think they're going to go Martin, in your opinion? Uh, do you think they're going to go uh, underslot with a guy like Zach Veen or, or Nick Gonzalez? Um, and, and what kind of strategy do you see with that number two overall pick? And then what strategy do you see them? carrying on through picks 30 and 39 and through the rest of the draft
2: i think they're going under slot um austin martin i love what he brings to a team i love the flexibility i love the power you know the nice power potential that he brings there he has a great batting eye i love all of those things but again i think that there is too much of a chance for the Orioles to pick up a second top 10 you know, talent in the year as those draft-eligible sophomores or you know, a high school guy who would be in the top half the first round under normal circumstances. I think there is just too much there for them to ignore. Um, so I think I really think, even though I do think Martin is the second-best player in the draft, I think they're going to go under slot. Um And I think in that case, I think they'd lean towards Zach Bean over Nick Gonzalez in that particular case. Um, just because the I think the ceiling is higher and I think there'd be a little bit more cost savings uh, cost savings there for the team in terms of 30 and 39. I think 39, I think they, you know, they might overslot someone just the tiniest little bit, not much, but, you know, maybe an extra 100, 200,000 dollars. I think they really will try to spend big at number 30, trying to get one of these guys that is in. You know that either is falling to them like jared kelly or one of the draft eligible sophomores um like wilcox or if they're feeling a little risky again or if they really believe in walker's bat um walker you know one of these guys that needs that extra money to um convince them to sign this particular year so i think they're going to spend big at 30. they might go a little bit over at uh, 39 but i can even see them you know going extreme cost savings if they really have to push all in for um, one of these guys at 30. So that's where I kind of see them going, under slot and spin big.
4: You know, often in coverage about the draft, you'll see reference to Michael Elias, um, Michael Elias' track record in Houston, not just him, but sort of the baseball operations brain trust that was in Houston at the time, but has since followed him to Baltimore. And you'll hear references to when they drafted Carlos Correa Uh, Do you think there's any lessons to be learned from his uh, previous drafts in Houston coming into this year?
2: There probably are because, I mean, you know, people and front offices, you know, especially he brought Sigma Joel as well, um, they're going to have things that they prefer. But ultimately, you have to be careful about reading too much into it because truly the draft is a year-to-year process. They could have gone under slot last year and signed Bobby Witt. But Adley just there was too much there. So even if there is a tendency to try to go in these underslots or otherwise, you have to be careful of reading too much in there. That said, again, this year I think there's just too much talent that's going to be sitting there at 30 for them to ignore.
4: Just by just curiosity, like... it seems less likely as we go on, but do you think there's any chance that the Tigers pass on Spencer Torkelson and that really th- – Changes the dynamics of what the Orioles do. I mean, there's a chance. I
2: would not. I would not put it high. There. There have been rumblings in the last like 48 hours that it's not set in stone or whatever. I. I don't think that's the case. I think they're just going to go with that certainty of that. That um, if you know, if they had the largest draft pool like the Orioles do, they might consider an underslot sort of situation, and they would be able to have a little more flexibility in that way to take you know, say. Emerson Hancock, who's ranked number four, and they have a huge cost savings. Um, that said, again, I, I think they're just going with Torkelson. I think what we're hearing, at least right now, is smoke. So, um,
4: yeah. So, Stephen, is there anything we haven't discussed in relation to the draft that you want to bring up? And what can we expect to see from you uh, in terms of coverage between now and next week?
2: Let's see. I can answer the coverage thing first. So, uh, the first thing is, I am in the process of working on article, taking a look at rounds three through five, players who might be available, who um, you know, whose draft score, draft model score, greatly outstrips their Baseball America ranking. Um, guys that might be that extra value in that way, that again can give the Orioles even more financial flexibility, depending on how they want to play it. So that should probably come out Friday, I'm guessing. And then next week after the draft, I plan on going through a bit of an analysis, taking a look at where the Orioles um, players that they picked, where their draft scores kind of come in, what it looks like, how it looks in comparison to a couple of other teams who are also drafting fairly high. In terms of things that are otherwise possibly that we might have missed or otherwise, we've mentioned about the college pitching that's available. It's incredibly deep. I haven't even mentioned so far, you know, like guys that would be possibly in play at 30, guys like Tanner Burns out of Auburn, who, you know, he, His stuff isn't as loud as, say, Emerson Hancock, but his production matches them, and he's been Auburn's Friday night starter for a couple years. Um, Chris McMahon out of Miami, guy ranked 30, another just strikes out guys, controls the walks, just, you know, looks high chance of starting, Slade Ciccone sort of thing, you know, lots of stuff, lots of strikeouts draft eligible sophomores, so a little risk there. But, again, the college pitching in this draft is so incredibly deep. And also, one other thing that I didn't mention, there's actually catchers in this draft. There are interesting catchers. It doesn't interest the Orioles as much, but it'll be interesting to see what some teams do. So in my article that I was thinking about, talking about number 30 and 39, I mentioned uh, Dylan Dingler, uh, Ohio State catcher who also has played center field, which, you know, that's an odd combination. Yeah, at the time he was ranked number 37 in their latest update, where did he move up to? He moved up into the 20s, I believe. Um, So he's a 27 he moved up 10 spots and in the model he moved up from number 18 in my uh, draft score up to number I believe 12. So I mean He's he's a guy that has a lot of healing a lot of um, just could be interesting He's probably out of the Orioles reach now but it'll be interesting to see how many teams are going for these catchers that seemingly are available him Austin Wells, you know these type of guys that again catchers a hard spot to fill in baseball now, granted, if the coming, the robot umpires uh, winds up occurring, you know, that's going to change the catcher position greatly into almost possibly another DH. The so 538.com had a uh, article about that at one point. So it could be very interesting to see what happens with the catchers. But in this year's draft, there are some options available that could be interesting. But again, the main thing, just so much college pitching is available that... I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities for players that normally wouldn't fall to suddenly be there at 30, and that's going to, that can only benefit the Orioles.
4: Excellent. Nick or Bob, do you have any uh, additional thoughts or questions?
5: No, I'd just like to uh, thank was... Stephen for his time. I look forward to reading to those articles in, in this week and next, and uh, really appreciate it.
3: Yeah, that was fantastic information. Uh, it's got me even more excited for this year's draft. I think Orioles have a real opportunity to make a, a lot of noise this year, and yeah. I hope they do. And, and that college pitching is exciting. And, you know, it, even if the Orioles do grab a catcher at 30-39, you know, like you said, just the talent this year seems to be off the charts. And I'm excited to see these guys. I, I wish we'd have an opportunity to actually watch them play this year but after yeah. the draft. But, you know, soon enough. We'll see. Absolutely. Yeah.
4: So one thing I should note before we sign off, we still do not really have the status clear on the 2020 MLB season. Uh, We're awaiting that just like everyone else. Once we have a little bit more clarity on that, we'll certainly delve into any angles as it relates not only to the implications of having or not having a major league season for the immediate future, but then long term, what that could mean for players that are already in the Orioles farm system, players that could come out of this draft uh, that's something we're going to explore on an upcoming show but we are planning next week to have a very draft-centric show again this time talking about the players the Orioles actually select so uh, stay tuned on our Twitter feed on at BSL on the Verge for an update there you can also continue to check baltimoresportsandlife.com uh, for regular updates check the message board uh, certainly watch Alfred Stevens' article later this week um, thank you to Stephen again for joining us. His insight is really valuable, um, and it certainly gives us a lot to watch leading up to next week. Um, for Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, uh I'm Zach Spedden. Thank you for joining us on the latest on the Verge, and we will see you again sometime next week.
1: High Five Casino High Five Casino is the top social casino where the action and real prizes never stop With all of the hottest games right from Vegas and winnings that go straight to your bank account Get ready for fun spins and big wins Enjoy free daily rewards and come back to get free coins every four hours Not just once a day like the others <laughs> Visit H5C.fun. That's H, the number 5, C, dot And have your high five moment today. High Five Casino. High Five Casino is a social casino only. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited. Play responsibly. Terms and conditions apply. Visit website for details.